Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie hangover, Marshall 24, Virginia Tech 17. Hokies are one in three for the first time in 32 years. Uh, I would like to rescind a uh, statement I made on the last podcast, the Marshall preview. Uh, and also it was kind of a mailbag episode as well. I'd like to rescind a comment that I made uh, regarding Virginia Tech's final record on the season. We received a listener question uh, that basically asked us, okay, if Virginia Tech goes 1-11, what kind of changes will be made? And, Ricky, I think you were the first one to say uh, Virginia Tech would not go 1-11, and we all just kind of chimed in and said, yeah, no shot, they go 1-11. I would like to rescind that statement. I think 1-11 is firmly on the table. And I also just want to throw in real quick, Rick, before I toss it over to you, I just want to add that I have no more left to give with this football team. So we're just going to fire oh, from the hip. Mike it's is- just fired it's it's just it's just you and i on this podcast tonight andrew is dealing with a situation i don't want to discuss on this podcast it's not great with a individual that uh he knows from his college days it's just not a good situation from a health standpoint so andrew's not joining us tonight he's got some personal stuff he's dealing with understood uh so it's just ricky and i recapping marshall trust me andrew has plenty of thoughts on this game that we will cede the floor to him on the preview later this week, but I just want to uh, turn this over to you, Ricky, because we're going to fire from the hip like we usually do, but I have a ton of thoughts. I'm real irritated with how this game played out. Uh, I am running out of things to say about this team, but this is just kind of going to be a stream of consciousness once again. So you're saying you have a ton of thoughts, but not a lot of to give. Is that what you're saying? A lot of thoughts, not a lot of fucks. Okay, so that's kind of been my worry since the latter years of the Fuente era, quite honestly, is when you watch a program that's got such a, a good tradition of winning, I mean, essentially for my entire lifetime up until a few years ago, Virginia Tech was known for fielding a highly competitive football team, uh, winning 10-plus games for, what, 11, 12, 13 years, however long it was. 
winning some conference championships, going to some near six or BCS games, played in the national championship game, stellar atmosphere at home games, hard place to play in at home, right? Always a home field advantage for tech. Yeah, the results haven't always been there, but it's definitely a very loud atmosphere. Well, actually, sure. no, like that was kind of my point was like the results were used to be there. It'd be, yeah, with Beamer. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yep. Um, all that's gone. Yeah. The conference championships, Virginia Tech's not competing for an AC championship in the next couple of seasons, at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 10 wins. No, not a chance. Um, a New Year's Six game, Mike? No, probably not. Um, just how about a bowl game? Like, is that is that a possibility? I guess it maybe is. Like, if you if you've got some you know some good optimism in your veins, look, this is this has gotten deeply frustrating for me. I I have been ridiculed up and down, left, right, and center for the last several months for criticizing not just the fact that Tyler Bowen did not have a very good year one, but that he was given extra responsibilities and increased importance in those responsibilities heading into year two. I I'm over it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of watching this team stink. You and I, I I am not going to say mm-hmm. that no one is trying because I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. No, 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 no. I agree with that. I, I'm, yep. I'm, I, I, I want to make that clear. I'm not saying that these guys aren't going out there and busting their ass because I agree. think they are. The players have pride. The coaches have pride, and I respect that. But wins and losses matter. Yeah. Bill Parcells famously said, your record is what it is, and it, you are as good as your record, right? Paraphrasing. JTX record stinks. They're what four and eleven now under Brent Pry. Their their only wins are Old Dominion, Boston College, Wofford, and Liberty. Um, an FCS team, two Group of Five teams, and a really bad Power Five team. And and that kind of goes back to the the final statement I wanted to make sure I made in the opening monologue on this podcast. Virginia Tech is one of the worst Power 5 football teams in the country, hands down. Undisputedly. And they they might be out. Actually, no. I think they are outside the top 100 teams in, in FBS this year. Oh, yes. Yeah. Un, undoubt, they're, out of, they're outside the top 100. And SP Plus has Virginia Tech uh, inside the top 115. Uh the SP plus projections, which are very good, there's still there's still some preseason stuff in there. But once you get past week four and into week five, you start to filter some of that preseason projection stuff out and it becomes like real life results. I don't think Virginia Tech is in the top 115 to 120 schools in the country this year. And maybe people think I'm over exaggerating, but this is a really, really bad football team. It's one of the worst football teams in the FBS. I don't think it's one of the worst football teams from a talent standpoint, the FBS, which is why we're going to have this next conversation that we continue to have. And I just want to start by saying, Ricky, you and I in particular in the spring, when Tyler Bowen was given responsibilities of the quarterback coach job, you and I had disagreement. I was wrong. So I just want to, 
I just want to kind of back up. And I thought you and I had a very reasonable discussion at the time. We talked about the pros and the cons. Uh, we disagreed a little bit, but I think I think we had a pretty good discussion about kind of the good that could come of it and the bad that could come of it. And yeah. I I I won't say that I was a proponent of the move, but I understood it, right? I understood it. I think that was a mistake. I think my take was wrong. I think it was a mistake. Tyler Bowen, I thought, against Rutgers with Kyron Drones, we're going to jump around a little bit on this podcast tonight, but just from the start. I thought Tyler Bowen called a pretty good game against Rutgers last weekend. Results weren't great. Virginia Tech scored 16 points. It was up and down. But I thought the plays that he was calling for Kyron Drones kind of fit his skill set and made a lot of sense. I cannot say the same thing about the game plan against Marshall. Virginia Tech ran the ball well early in this game. They went away from it. They did not roll Kyron drones out in the pocket very often like they did against Rutgers. Something where, you know, it was pretty clear early on in that Rutgers game that drones was very comfortable throwing the football on the run. They didn't do that a lot against Marshall. Didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You made Kyron drones a statue in the pocket. It's clear that he's not comfortable as a pocket passer yet. He's more comfortable on the run. They didn't scheme it that way against Marshall, at least not as consistently as I would have liked. What this boils down to for Brent Pry, and if you take kind of even a step further back, Whit Babcock, we discussed this at the time, when he decided to keep Justin Fuente after the COVID year, right? That was that was a surprise. Called the press conference. We all expected him to be fired. Called the press conference, said Justin Fuente staying, right? Kept him one extra year. 2021 season didn't go as hoped. He was fired after that Duke win late in the year um, in November, and Virginia Tech moved on. We can all agree that that was probably something that should have been done following the COVID year, that Whit Babcock waited at least one year too long to let Justin Fuente go. The reason why I bring that up, Ricky, is because once you do that, the fan base is already impatient, right? You already waited one year too long to fire the previous head coach. You bring in a new head coach who doesn't have any head coaching experience, which is fine. He was a very good defensive coordinator at Penn State. No question about it. He, he is a good, really good defensive coordinator. I had no problem with the hire of Brent Pry as the head coach. But what happens is when you hire a first-time defensive coordinator and a first-time offensive coordinator, and you're preaching preaching patience with a fan base that has none and then not only are you preaching patience but you go out and you win four games you win four out of your first 15 15 right yeah four out of your first 15 games ricky this is the these are the types of hires that could have worked if the fan base was willing to be extremely patient I think Virginia Tech fans, their patience ran really thin when 
he entered year two. Virginia Tech lost, beat Old Dominion in the opener, lost to Purdue, lost to Rutgers, lost to Marshall. And Pry is out here talking about talent, and he's talking about how the team isn't consistent enough. This isn't a talent thing, okay? The first four games of this season that Virginia Tech has played, they have not had talent that is way deficient compared to the opposition. They are on equal playing field with each team they've played this season from a talent standpoint. In fact, you can make the argument that Virginia Tech has a better roster than at least a couple of these teams that they've played in the first four games of the season. This is coaching. This is coaching. This is a serious, serious issue. I have people asking in my personal Twitter mentions, we have some questions for this podcast tonight in our show account asking about what's next. What does Virginia Tech do if this gets to 1-11, if this is going to be a 2-10 season? I am more willing to entertain those now than I was last week, Ricky, when we were having the discussion about it, and it was kind of hypothetical. We have another data point, and it's not good. Virginia Tech's entering conference play this weekend. Pittsburgh is a terrible football team. They are really, really, really bad, Ricky. Virginia Tech opened as a four-point underdog, and we're not even sure that Pitt's going to have their starting quarterback, and they're an underdog anyway at home in Blacksburg. Pitt is a bad football team, Ricky. And I don't think Virginia Tech has a chance this weekend because Pittsburgh is going to figure out how to run the football, even though their backup quarterback can barely complete a forward pass. This is really bad. I'm not sure when Virginia Tech's going to win another game this season. Some of you might think I'm over-exaggerating, overreacting. Show me the wins. Boston College has a running quarterback, Thomas Castellanos. He's pretty good. Anthony Calandria, UVA's quarterback. He can run around a little bit. They found a little something in him. Is he perfect? No. Tech's in trouble. Tech's in a lot of trouble. Virginia Tech is not going to fire Brent Pry, Ricky. They're not going to do it. Not because, it, look, if it goes gets to 1-11, could they fire him? Probably not. <laughs> look at the financials. Where's the money coming from? Are they going to be able to find the money to fire him after two seasons if it gets to 1-11? I think the more realistic discussion we can have is around the assistant coaches. And we can talk about specifics of the Marshall game, but really, in my opinion, this is a big picture podcast until further notice, you know, like we can get into the ins and outs of the Marshall game and we could definitely talk about it and we will talk about on this podcast, but it's a symptom of a larger problem. And I I don't really know where to, I don't really know where it starts, where it ends, but one in three for the first time since 1991 is not good. It's just not good. I went long there. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. And, to that to that last point you just made it's difficult to get tied up in position battles and scheme issues and uh pro football focus grades when the program is in the doldrums like this because you can't as a fan right which you know, we are, that's what we are. We are fans. We're observers. We are commentators. 
when you see all of these big picture issues, it's really hard to to start kind of running with a fine tooth comb over. Yeah. Does Kyron is is Kyron Drones inaccurate? Well, yes, he is. But why is Virginia Tech allowing 200 yards a game almost on the ground? Like, I mean, like why is this why is this roster underperforming as much as it is? Right. Why do they look outmatched week in and week out when we know that they aren't? Why have they had one good fast start to a game in four weeks? Uh, I mean, th- these are all huge questions. When you when you lose this many games, it is impossible to not look at the bigger picture of is this is this going in the right direction? And Mike, you bring up. Does Virginia Tech move on from Brent Pry after year two if they go one and eleven or two and ten? I tend to agree with you that the answer is no, but I'm not. I, I don't think that that is the same answer to should Virginia Tech move correct. on from Brent is, Pry? Yeah, correct. After a one eleven or two and ten season, correct. I've changed my thinking on that too. Because, by the way, I've changed my well, thinking there. And look, I I'm trying to be really patient. I'm trying. I promise I am because I, look, I don't want to go through another head coaching search. Mm-mm. I I I enjoyed some stability under Frank Beamer and in the early years of Justin Fuente, right? I I enjoyed that, right? Yeah. Um, it's. I think it would be, and it would be catastrophic. I mean, it would be catastrophic to have to to have to be in a position where you got to fire him this early. It would just be, it would be tough. It would be real tough. Yeah, but every time we say that, all I keep thinking of. Is it is it not catastrophic to continue letting this happen on the on the field? Yeah, Virginia Tech's brand, if it's not completely destroyed, it is almost destroyed. Yeah, it's Virginia never been Tech's worse. National in identity and brand is nothing more than Enter Sandman. It's it's ne- it has not been and, it has not been worse in three decades. And as much as I love Enter Sandman, and I don't want that to ever go away. I don't want that to be the brand. Yeah. I, I I don't want Virginia Tech to come up in the national conversation of best entrance in college football and worst program in the Power Five. I don't want those to be the only two times that we come up in national conversation. But that's exactly what it is right now. And the further we get from... Tell them. Two- the further we get Tell from them. 2021, Tell them, baby. The, the less and less you can start, you can continue mentioning Justin Fuentes. Bingo. Bingo. So, you saw my tweet. Bingo. Yeah. So so let me let me put this out there because I got this plenty um after the Marshall game, and I've gotten it way more over the last previous few weeks. Stop looking at Justin Fuente. When you look at this roster and this coaching issue, okay, we get it. We have we have talked about it ad nauseum. And look, I was one of the harshest critics of Fuente when he was recruiting in the fifties and the seventies. Yep, you were, and I got a lot of flack for it. And, and you're getting and and it's funny because now you're getting. It's almost like the opposite. For some reason, there there are some people who didn't who just clearly don't listen to this podcast. Didn't listen to this podcast who for some reason think you you were one of his staunchest defenders, which I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Um, you were always fair, I thought. 
Yeah, and, and and I said this when Justin got fired. I had a I had a pretty good professional relationship with Justin when I covered the team, and I have no doubts in my mind that Justin's a fantastic dad and family man, and is good for good to his friends and his family, and is is a good man overall. Obviously, things didn't work out, and both parties needed to move on. I'm starting to feel that way about this coaching staff. So. Going back to the going back to the point I just made though, stop stop blaming Justin Fuente for all of this. It does nobody any good. Justin Fuente is not in any way connected to this program anymore. Brent Pry has had two off seasons of transfer portal. He's had one recruiting class. You can yes, you can make the argument that he had a limited impact on that one given the short turnaround. But there's got to be some progress. There's got to be some signs that this is working. There's got to be some 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 uh, evidence that Brent Pry, Chris Marv, Tyler Bowen, and the other assistants can take the guys on the roster and make them better than they came in. And you can't, I'm not sure you can find the spot, Mike, where they've done it. I don't think they have. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokey Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall? Need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to VividSeats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. I, uh... (laughs) I might get some flack for this. I am not totally sure that the defensive backroom is as good as the national rankings indicate simply because teams have not had to really throw on Virginia Tech. I mean, they've been okay. I'm, I'm like they've been fi- they've been fine. The they've been fine. No, 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 no. They they've been fine and Tech's missing two safeties and that affects but, everything. But 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 let's not sugarcoat the fact that Virginia Tech is 73rd in scoring defense and 61st in total defense. Yep. And so I put this tweet out after the game because I've been, I've, I, you know, clearly very critical of Tyler Bowen. Chris Marv deserves plenty of criticism, folks. 
Yeah. His his unit is not getting it done. They've had back-to-back games allowing over 200 yards on the ground uh, to Rutgers and Marshall. Yeah. Okay? They didn't play Notre Dame. They didn't play Michigan. They played Rutgers and Marshall. If you can't show any signs of progress against these kinds of teams, what the hell is going to happen when they play Florida State? Yeah. I agree. Um, the, the, the weird thing about this game Saturday is that uh, I thought for stretches of this game, Virginia Tech handled Marshall's rushing attack okay. The problem... So Rasheen Ali, he finishes with 27 carries for 174 yards, two touchdowns, 6.4 yards per rush. Uh, one of his touchdown runs was a 61-yarder. Uh, he really had 26 carries for 113 yards, which would have been a marked improvement. The problem is that you can't just erase a 61-yard touchdown run, so he really finished with 27 for 174 and two scores. So that ended up obviously being a really important score in the game. Marshall, of course, wins this game by a touchdown. You can't just throw that away. Uh, The unfortunate thing is that I thought Virginia Tech's rushing defense for stretches of this game improved week over week. The problem is they still gave up 214 on the ground at five yards per carry. It's bad, Rick. Like, there's no there's no sugarcoating it. Right. Like, I don't I don't want to sit here and talk about how I thought, you know, Virginia Tech's rushing defense did better for stretches of the game because it wasn't for the entire game. That's been the issue all season, Ricky. Yeah, I'm 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 getting pretty tired of people saying, "Oh, well they showed improvement in the third quarter." Right. Oh, Virginia Tech, oh, a they lot came of teams back from play g- g- at least one quarter of good football. Oh, good. That Virginia happens Tech... every damn week. Virginia Tech came back from 17 down in the second quarter against Purdue. Oh, you know, Virginia Tech had a really good stretch at the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter against Rutgers. Oh, yeah. Guys, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> like, this is offense it's and defense. It's, it's, nauseating. Nause- it's nauseating. It's inconsistent. I'm now having trouble figuring out what's the worst unit, offensive <laughs> line or linebacker. I can't keep doing this week over week. This team's going to kill me. I can't continue to watch this week over week. I mean, I... I put out this tweet before the before the Rutgers game, right? Because uh, it was a really fun noon slate in week three. Uh, it featured that crazy Florida State-Boston college game that a lot of people had eyes on. And I tweeted out, man, after a really fun and exciting noon slate, I now get to subject myself to three and a half hours of Virginia Tech football, which now I just want to tweet every single week. Like, yeah. Man, that was a lot of fun. Now I get to watch Virginia Tech again. Bummer. This is really, really bad. And so, uh, I, I don't I, I'm a little so, ranty on this podcast tonight, but I'm just I'm so mesmerized. We told the people we would get into the game specifics a little bit. So let's do that. OK, yeah. You mentioned the linebackers. This is oh. becoming a, an increasing issue week on week. So gross. Virginia Tech had one linebacker register a tackle for loss, and it was Keontae Jenkins. Yeah. Um, the one who's probably the most banged up. Yeah, so Kelly Lawson, to his credit, did have an interception, did have 12 tackles. Alan Tisdale had eight tackles. Lawson's been, I think, one, if not the, one of the best players now, on the defense this year. Now, to now to be fair, if you're watching the games, which, Mike, I know you are. I'm not insinuating that you aren't. Right, yeah. Kelly right. Lawson has also looked lost in coverage on multiple times. Lost in so, coverage, yes. Again, yep. in this game. Uh, even though he did have an interception thrown right to him. Congrats to him on actually making the interception. Um, 
this linebacker group is atrocious. That's it. Is that is that too? Is that it? Is that too blunt? I mean, I, I'm. Oh. I don't want to insinuate again. I don't. I don't want to say that these guys aren't busting their ass out there because I, I do think they are. I saw Will Johnson running his ass off down the field as he was chasing another Marshall player for a big play. But that's the thing. I'm tired of him watching chasing guys after they get big plays and score touchdowns. This is from Andy Bitter uh, from his game story on Tech Sideline, Rick. Uh, so first of all, let me start by saying pro football focus has a scale, right? From 60 to 69, basically nice. Basically means you're performing at a backup level. From 0 to 59 means you're basically just a replacement level player, which means you're worse that you're basically third string. You can just pluck the guy off the roster, replace him. Four of the eight, this is from Andy Bitter, quote, four of the eight lowest graders on the defense who played at least 10 snaps were linebackers. Kelly Lawson, 57.8. That's a replacement level player. Jaden Keller, which, by the way, speaks to the the point you just made about him in pass coverage, because I think that contributes to a lot of his PFF grade, because I thought he was good against the run. I guess pass, not so much. Jaden Keller, 52.9. Again, replaceable. Tisdale, 50.9. Replaceable. Will Johnson, number 25 this week, 40.2. He graded the worst out of the Virginia Tech linebackers in this football game. Ricky, that entire linebacking crew that played all of them were playing essentially at a third string level on Saturday against Marshall. That ain't good. No, it's not. Um, I did see, uh, I don't know if you remember me mentioning this name before uh, the podcast or before the season started, George balance got uh, some I'm, run at linebacker. I'm familiar with his brother, Matt. Yes. Uh, as we both are. Um, I don't know what the answer is at linebacker. Quite honestly, Virginia tech's got some, some serious issues there, but this goes back to the the overarching conversation of Chris Marv is coaching the defense and coaching the linebackers. Yeah. What growth has come out of that linebacker room through a season and a third at this point? Essentially just the uh, improvement of Dax Hollyfield last year on a bad defense. I will, I will grant him the improvement of Dax and that okay. is, about it, unless I'm missing something, you let me know. The two, the actually now that I'm looking at it, the two highest graded linebackers in this Marshall game were Jabe McDonald and George Balance. <laughs> I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Anyway, Chris Marv, If you had to, I mean, like, if you had to put Bowen and Marv on a hot seat, oh, I, I, with with a with a level of one to five, and Bowen was a five, what is what is Marv? I put well, I put Marv. Let me let me explain this. I put Marv below Bowen because, and I think you mentioned this on an earlier pod. I think it's fair to assume that the hire that Pry was going to make as a defensive coordinator, like for his defensive coordinator role at Virginia Tech, was going to be somebody who could, he could kind of mold, right? Yeah. He wanted a, a guy, protege. He wanted a protege, a guy who could learn on the job a little bit, 
and Chris Marvel's that guy. Not to say he's not still learning on the job because it's, it's <laughs> he's fair, definitely still learning. Fair to say he's still learning on the job, right? But if you're going to have somebody who's kind of learning on the job and you're kind of slowly handing the reins over, because you'll remember, Ricky, Brent Pry was heavily involved in the defense, the defensive play calling last season as he installed the system. Because this is Brent Pry's system, right? <laughs> this is very similar to the one he had at Penn State. This is Brent Pry's defense. But Chris uh, Chris Marv's running it this year for the first time. Um, with Bowen, because if you're going to do that, then you have to be hitting home runs on the other side of the ball. You got to have at least an adequate average offense. If Virginia Tech had an average offense and average defense, this would be an average team, like a lot of us expected it to be. It would be in that four, five, six win range. But it's not. And we would have a lot more patience. We'd have some more patience because you're showing progress, right? Would everything be perfect? No, right? The Old Dominion game is a great example. The Old Dominion game and really a lot of the Purdue game is kind of what you and I and and Andrew expected. There was some good. There was some bad. Ultimately, we knew what the weaknesses were with this team. It's unfortunate the Techs had some injuries, but the injuries that they're having, it's a contributing factor to the team playing poorly, but it's not the only reason the team's playing poorly. And we had a question come up, uh, Ricky, that was tweeted at us uh, before the podcast tonight. And I just want to credit it to the right person. This is from Robert Chase. How much leash do you give this coaching staff for running with a young roster in a world of six-year players thanks to 2020? So I would give the coaching staff more leash with the younger players if the veterans were playing well. The veterans are not playing well. There, there's little to no development with the existing veterans on the roster at several position groups, right? Last year, we could point to Dax Hollyfield's improvement, right? As we just talked about it. It's like, okay, well, Chris Marv is, you know, primarily coaching the linebackers last year because Brent Pry was still calling the defense and we saw the improvement at Dax Hollyfield. You're willing to give the coaching staff, in my opinion, a pass with a lot of younger players playing if the veterans are also improving. The veterans, in a lot of cases, are taking steps back, which is why I have less patience with Pry and his younger players coming in that he's recruited and he's trying to get to, you know, be contributing players on this roster. The veterans suck right now, and a lot of them are players that Pry wanted to keep around. Look at the offense. Look at look at several position groups on the offense. Look at look at Jalen Lane and Allie Jennings, who's hurt, right? Uh, Daquan Felton, who I think has been a little bit underwhelming. Uh, the running back room, Bashel Tootin, who can only run behind the offensive line that blocks for him. But the veterans are underperforming. The veterans on the offensive line are underperforming. I mean, it's it's bad at several position groups in regards to veteran versus young players. Yeah, my response to that would be the leash is entirely dependent on the progress being shown um if if virginia tech was showing some progress and still losing more games than they win i i I don't love it but it, it it's it's signs that this thing might be working right there are no signs that this is working right none. now none um i, mean... I got I, I got some flack for that on facebook when i shared last week's column uh, there were a lot of folks that didn't didn't appreciate me saying that there's been no progress shown with this rebuild. 
And um, I think that the point still stands after the Marshall game. Uh, still not seeing a lot of progress. Mike, uh, Kyron Drones makes his second start for mm-hmm. the Hokies in this one. Uh, lots of folks were clamoring for Drones after last week or after the Rutgers game. Um, I'm willing to cede that Drones may elevate the offense's ceiling. Mm-hmm. But after watching from what I've seen from Drones, he's not the long-term answer at quarterback for this for this program. Fine with me. <laughs> I mean, you and I were texting about this earlier, and I, I misunderstood a little bit initially, and then you and I were quickly kind of back on the same page. Yeah. Uh, look, I... I I think Drones' performances here over his first two starts, what I take away from it is essentially just a confirmation that Virginia Tech is a lot more than just a quarterback away, right? Which I think, to be honest, I think fans were thinking early in the year. They were thinking, well, look at the, the veteran skill position players, right? Look at Jennings and look at Lane and look at Lawson. And then, you know, look at some of the the younger guys who, you know, can step in and contribute. Look at like a Daquan Wright. Look at uh, Stephen Gosnell, who made a ridiculous catch uh, in the first half on Saturday that I just want to let you know in a, in a game that didn't go very well for Virginia Tech offensively, that catch did not go unnoticed. Um, this is just kind of a situation offensively for Virginia Tech where the most pressing need wasn't addressed in the portal, the offensive line. And oh, but Michael, it was. Oh, Clayton Frady. We've seen a lot of him this year, haven't we? <laughs> Not even on the two deep. Uh, I think he is actually now. I think oh, he good. has made it on the two deep, which good. Bravo, good right? Good for him. Phenomenal. Good for him. Virginia Tech didn't seriously address the offensive line in the transfer portal. There we go. Maybe maybe that's the more more appropriate description. And I do appreciate, and, and I've said this before, I give Pry and his staff credit for how they address wide receiver, how they address running back, right? I, I do have an appreciation for that. Um, getting a quarterback in drones who I feel like gives the offense at the very least more flexibility, Ricky, because I think fans are going to – you know, as more data points pop up and maybe drones will start to play better, right? Maybe. But I think as more data points pop up, I think at least through two games, what I'm seeing is I don't know how significantly the ceiling is raised, but I do know that from a offensive flexibility and play calling perspective, I think you have more at your disposal with, with drones just because this team can't just line up and hand the ball off with Grant Wells. Like, it doesn't work. They don't have the offensive line to for Bayshell 2 or Malachi Thomas to run behind. So drones giving you that element in the rushing game is really needed. And I don't think there's been enough of a drop off in the passing game, quite honestly, to warrant Grant Wells, you know, once he's healthy, returning to the starting lineup and me feeling like this offense is all of a sudden going to click into gear. So I think there's more flexibility with drones if he's used appropriately. I think that, you know, Virginia Tech went away from the power running game, unfortunately, a lot earlier than they should have. There was a lot of early success. Virginia Tech, I do want to give the Hokies credit 
Tech got off to a fast start in this game. You score on the first possession, then you immediately force a turnover. Yes, you didn't capitalize on that turnover, but that's truthfully one of the best. That's the best start they've had all year through four games. Uh, that that's the best start that they've had in the game, and obviously it didn't work out. But this is kind of a situation we're in now where you kind of point back to the play calling. You point back to the fact that Drones is young and inexperienced. And now there's Allie Jennings who's out. You're playing behind a really bad offensive line. There are things that are limiting Drones too, Ricky, obviously. Uh, some limiting factors here. So while I I won't go so far as to say that he is definitely not the long-term answer at quarterback, I also don't have a problem with you saying that. Because through two games, with the hand that he's been dealt, obviously, and it's shorthanded with the offensive line and having your top receiver out, the returns haven't been great. They haven't been great. It's been okay on the ground. He's he's you know averaging four yards per carry and... He had, you know, what was it, 15 for 65 or 15 for 75 um, in this game on Saturday. He's been he's been fine, Ricky. He's been fine, but he, he hasn't done anything that just has totally wowed you, right, either. And I and I think that's the big the bigger takeaway here. So kind of the last overarching point that I kind of want to make uh today. We've talked a lot about this coaching staff and how they're not really adding a lot to the equation. Um, the head coach is in his first time as a head coach. The uh, offensive coordinator is in his first full-time gig as an offensive coordinator. Yep. The defensive coordinator is in his first time as a defensive coordinator. Um, the wide receivers coach is in his first time at a Power 5. Pearson Prelo, same thing at safety. since first stint as a Power 5 coach. Sean Quinn, same boat. Uh, Ron Crooks bounced around approximately 82 schools in his career. Um, this coaching staff does not inspire a lot of confidence, Mike. And we probably should have seen that coming in year one. I certainly didn't. Me picking nine wins like I was on acid. Um but this uh I'll have what he's having. Yeah. This coaching staff um seems like it was put together a bit hastily and doesn't seem very competent, almost like a uh a certain joke that you make about another program in Virginia. Oh, and I didn't pull the sound. That's a bummer. That is a bummer. It's a me. It's. I, it's I was a, trying to set you up there, but you didn't look like I you know. had any idea what I was talking I, about. I, yeah, I know, and it clicked in my head because we talked about it earlier. That <laughs> is a bummer. Uh, it's a bit of a, and, and they all seem like nice people. Yep. It seems like a Mickey Mouse staff to me. Yep, sure does. A little bit of Mickey Mouse staff. That's Just where I drop in. The, that's where I drop in the music. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Let me just put this as nicely as I can without being a total ass. Uh, it's a bag of ass coaching staff. It really is. I mean, it's just not very good. And the 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 it's experience what, level, Mike? just total bag of ass. The, <laughs> the, 
the offensive coordinator has no true power five offensive coordinator experience outside of a bowl game. The defensive coordinator has never been a defensive coordinator before. Uh, the only position group really that you can argue has a coach in place with a lot of good experience at big time power five schools is Derek Jones. And I think his unit's the best on the team. You mentioned Ron Crook's been around, but it hasn't always been, you know, from a, uh, it hasn't always been power five jobs, right? Sean Quinn, I think is more of a off field recruiter than an on field coach. Maybe somebody will disagree with me on that, but that's just my thought. JC Price, I think, unfortunately, great Hokie, great ambassador of the program. His defensive line has been terrible this year. It was bad again on Saturday. They weren't very good last year either. They weren't good last year either. And I think that a change should be pondered on the defensive line uh, in terms of who's going to be coaching that unit next year. We have several questions, Rick, just pertaining to if this gets as bad as it could, who's getting fired. And I have three distinct coaches that I've, you know, we'll have members. And and I know that members of the coaching staff, this isn't like to, to pump us up. I know members of the coaching staff listen to podcasts about the Virginia tech program. So there's a shot that this gets heard there, which I'm fine with. We're not associated with the program in any way. This is our opinion based on how the team is played and has nothing to do with these coaches as people. Just want to put that out there. But if this gets as bad as I think it's going to get, I think Tyler Bowen's going to be let go. I think Chris Marv's going to be let go. And unfortunately, I think JC Price is also going to be let go. I think those are the three I would point to. Um, Marv, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a two for one because he's also the linebackers coach and linebacking course has been terrible. So I think those are three coaches at the top of the list. I know Virginia Tech special teams, you know, uh, all arrows were pointed at Stu Holt last year, but he's actually further down my list, Ricky, than some of these other coaches on the staff now. So I just want to get that out there. It's unfortunate that we're already talking about this and we're not even out of September in year two, but it is what it is. This team's one in three. It's been over three decades since that's happened. And quite honestly, Ricky, the schedule is the softest it's been in the month of September in quite some time. So it's just really inexcusable. Injuries are not inexcusable. Yeah. I um I don't want to take the the fact that we're essentially calling for people's jobs lightly, because as someone who's been on that end of the end of the stick before, it sucks. So I do agree with you. I think by the end of the season, Tyler Bowen needs to uh, pursue other opportunities. It just has not worked here uh, in any capacity, quite frankly. I don't think Chris Marv gets let go as bad as this gets. And that goes back to the conversation that we had just a few minutes ago. And that's fair. I think, I'm not saying that that's how it should be. I'm saying that's what I think is going to happen. That's my best guess. He's probably third on my list, Rick. I think it's probably Bowen, Price, and then Marv would be 
I also I also don't think JC Price is going anywhere. Um there is a there's a certain uh optical impact from that kind of move that I'm not sure Pry wants to deal with at the moment. That's a good point. Uh but Mike, I will uh note that the three coaches that you named happen to be the associate head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator which are the top three coaching positions not in, not named head coach. So salary implications there as if, well. Um, if a coach is going to gut his three senior coaches, essentially, it doesn't necessarily bold well for the guy making the decisions. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm trying I'm, to... I... This an audio, yeah. Yeah, if you Podcast. could see the video on that, Mike was kind of like, meh, it is what it is. I mean, <laughs> I'm shrugging because... How about, I mean... If this is 1-11 in 11 or 2-10, and 10, I and with how it's looked so far, I just... Would it kind of is what it is. Would I, you feel comfortable with Ron Crook retaining his, his job? That's a tough. I mean, that's a tough one, right? Uh, that that's a tough one. And I've been very critical of the offensive line. You know that. And right, I was very so. And I was very critical of the offensive line play last year. And I've kind of remained steadfast in that this is really a personnel thing. Personnel, 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 personnel. But there's got to be a pulse somewhere right got to be a pulse and last year there really wasn't one on the offensive line and at several position groups on the roster there wasn't one but it was year one and it was the narrative was different it was oh look at the hand they were dealt yada 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 okay goes back to the statement you made the further we get from the further we move away from the Fuente era, right? And the more we move into the Brent Pry era and more and more data points, there's less and less of a leash for position groups that have coaches where it's clearly not working out. Crook's a tough one because he's only been there a year. You got to get something out of this unit. I mean, Rutgers, I, Rutgers has a pretty good defense. It's not. It did not surprise me if Virginia Tech struggled in that game. Marshall has a okay defense, worse than Rutgers. Virginia Tech should have played better against Marshall from the offensive side of the football on Saturday. I thought the offensive line should have performed better. thought the offensive line should have performed better against Purdue. Uh, I thought the offensive line should have performed better against Old Dominion, even though Virginia Tech offensively in that game played pretty well. We're in we'll see mode on offensive line. And the thing is like we're to the point now, and this is where my mindset changed, you know, with a, you know, with how this game looked against Marshall on Saturday, my mindset has just changed because it's just not looking good, not trending in a good direction. And, you know, the inconsistency is becoming a hallmark and a staple of Brent Pry coach teams at Virginia tech. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's the issue. That's the crux of this whole thing. And the further we get into this, the less patience I have 
And I am not one, you guys know this from the Fuente era, I'm not one to just react, 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 and say, fire everybody. That is not me. I, you know, I try to treat this with fairness, right? Because I know what they walked into, you know, Pry and his staff. I understand that. All these torn down relationships in the high schools, right? The, the, the relationship between the football program and the administration, whether it be at the Tim Sands level or at the athletic department level with Whit Babcock was not where it should be. I think Andrea Adelson's story with ESPN at the beginning of the year, by the way, Rick, that timing seems a lot less convenient now. And I made that point when we were entering the year. I made that point. I said, you know what? This is the type of story that you drop if you think this is not going to go particularly well in year two to kind of bide yourself some time. Lo and behold, here we are at one and three in the month of September through the non-proper schedule. But I understand that relationships need to be mended within within the athletic department, within the broader school administration, between the football program. I get all that. And Brent Pry was a good name because he gets Virginia Tech and he understands it. But the product is really bad. And the inconsistency, the poor play, the poor execution, this team does not look prepared. And I get there are injuries, and there are injuries to key position groups, but the guys who are there and healthy and the offensive line is the position group that has stayed healthy all year, that we were concerned about going into the year with health because we didn't know about the young guys behind them. That group stayed healthy, and they have been really bad, really bad. Nothing is Nothing is off limits, and... I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. It's just baffling to me. I've, yeah. I've had trouble just finding the words tonight on this podcast. I've been thinking about this recording a lot over the last, you know, 24, 36 hours. We knew we were going to record the Sunday night after this game. And I've been thinking about it a lot all day today. And I was thinking about it a lot yesterday as I was kind of watching the other games the rest of the day of what I was going to say on this podcast. And I am just at a loss for words because it's gotten so bad. Mike, you sent a tweet. Um, I want to say it was yesterday. I'm going to try and pull it up real quick. That I thought was um, not necessarily surprising. I think we we I think a lot of people have this opinion, but it's more so sobering. Um, trying to find, trying to find this tweet. Oh, oh, my goodness. She tweeted way too much yesterday. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Mike tweeted yesterday, I watch Virginia Tech play at this point mostly for the memes, and then I watch games like Notre Dame and Ohio State, and it's just simply a different sport. Kind of made me sad, quite honestly, reading yeah. that. Yeah. Kind of made me sad because Virginia Tech used to play that that level of football. Virginia Tech used to look like look look that good we're a long way removed from that i mean virginia tech hosted college game day on campus in 2017 which seems like forever ago but in a lot of ways it's not that long ago and had clemson in town man the hype the hype to that game was just tremendous 
there was there was so much positive momentum for the program that week alone, kind of culminating with game day and the actual game that night. ESPN did a phenomenal job promoting that as like a a heavyweight fight type deal. I mean, it was a huge deal uh, for ESPN and um, Herb Street made kind of a, a prescient comment that we've alluded to many times on this podcast was, was Virginia Tech was really looking for that signature win that night, right? To kind of put their, 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 their spot back on the map back as it was in the, you know, two thousands and the early 2010s. Um, it feels like we need a lot more than just one win to put ourselves back on the map right now. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how far this has fallen, right? And think about it, Mike. What uh, what year did you graduate? Twenty fifteen. Okay, so when you were in high school, mm-hmm. that would have been right at the the end of the of the good years, right? Mm-hmm. What's that, what year did you graduate high school? Twenty eleven. Okay, so twenty eleven. So the twenty ten football season was the Boise loss, the James Madison loss, and then Orange Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Tech, Tech then won the next 10 games and ended up in the Orange Bowl. I was actually at the East Carolina game, the first home game after the James Madison debacle in week two. I was at the East Carolina game. Virginia Tech was trailing at halftime, and Tyrod and Jared Boykin went nuts in the second half. And that yeah. was just kind of, that's what jump-started things. And Virginia Tech had a very, very good rest of the season, ended up in the Orange Bowl against Andrew Luck and Stanford. Didn't go particularly well. But it was a it was a very good year for Virginia Tech. So so in 2011, if I had told you that in just 10 years, Virginia Tech would go from Orange Bowl to one of the worst programs in the Power Five, would you have believed that? It would have been shocking. I mean, yeah, it would have been shocking. I mean, my. My freshman year, Virginia Tech lost to Clemson twice. They lost to Clemson in the regular season at home, and then they lost to Clemson in the ACC title game. You know, they they lost to Clemson twice. I think lost one other game that year, uh, but that was the uh, the year Logan Thomas, you know, ran that touchdown in against Miami, and these people are losing their minds. I was sitting with my dad i was a freshman i was sitting with my dad behind the core cadets for that game he was in town oh, and got really man. good seats and i stuck Nuts. behind the core and you know we saw you know we were behind the play but we saw kind of the the line open up the hole for for logan thomas to run through there uh for the go-ahead touchdown there late in the fourth quarter to think about that play and then think about Virginia Tech's defense and how it played in that game and the Alonzo Tweedy sack at the end of Ja'Cory Harris and how far Miami's fallen and everything that happened there, to think about where it's at now, I would have told you you were out of your mind. <laughs> Virginia Tech losing. If, if you told me Virginia Tech 10 years from now, right, or 12, I guess 12 years from now, Virginia Tech is going to start the season one and three. They're going to lose to a bad Purdue team. They're going to lose to Rutgers and they're going to lose to Marshall and they're going to kind of 
I want to say scrape by against Old Dominion, but they're going to have to try to gain some separation in the second half against Old Dominion in the opener. I would have told you you were out of your mind. And if you had also told me that it was our second coach post-Beamer at that time, I would have said you were really out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, tend to agree with you there. Any other questions before we get close to wrapping this up? Oh, we've hit on a lot. We've hit on a lot of the listener questions, I believe, just kind of directly or indirectly. Tim Cox said, where do we go from here? Can't imagine team morale being too high. Flosses keep stacking up. You know, do we see changes in coaching staff? We've kind of addressed that. Samuel Norman, big fan of the show. Last season, this season have been tough to watch. But I'm going to ride with Pry and stick it out, making an effort to be optimistic. Let's say Pry gets the program going again. Okay, we let's have this conversation. Let's say Pry gets the program going again. What is the ceiling? Are we just going to go through all of this to just get back to mediocrity? I think he's referring to the mediocrity, I'm sure, you know, last few years of Beamer and then basically for most of the Fuente era. That is a tough one for me to answer. Um, mostly because we're so far from even being considered a mediocre team at this point that I feel like even just getting back to being mediocre would be such a gigantic win and a sigh of relief for the fan base, unfortunately, that I don't know kind of beyond that what the ceiling would be. It's a really hard question to answer. I think given how Pry has recruited in the early stages. I think if Virginia Tech showed themselves to be a mediocre team, we're talking fringe bowl team, right? Five, six wins, even four wins. If you know, you had a couple games you gave away, you're trying to figure out how to win, but there is some clear improvement and you're bringing in these good recruiting classes. I think I would say that the ceiling is probably still decently high. Now I'm just not so sure. Right because it just feels like such a deep hole kind of find ourselves in. And it's kind of like you never get too high, never get too low. The truth's always somewhere in the middle. Yes, there have been injuries. Yes, there's more talent verbally committed, right, that's on the way. But also the coaching staff has not really shown an ability through 15 games to develop any of the talent on the team that's been existing, whether it's the guys they brought in or not I don't really know what the ceiling is at this point because I just feel like we're so far removed from even being mediocre right now a lot of Virginia Tech ceiling will be dependent on what conference they're in in five years yeah Um, yeah that's a good point too but if the conference realignment goes okay I think Virginia Tech ceiling is what Penn State is yeah I mean I'm not I'm not trying to say that Brent Pry is going to get to that level because at this point, I don't think he is. But the a lot of the necessary tools are there, right? Part of it is you have to have a passionate fan base, which Virginia Tech has. Um, you have to not have a ton of uh, competition in your backyard. Virginia Tech's got some competition nationally, but when it comes for kind of those mid-level recruits where you can develop those guys, you're not too worried about UVA if you, if, if you can get the program elevated. 
Um, they've done a, a lot better job. For, well, I shouldn't say maybe a lot. They've done a little bit better job fundraising on the athletic department side. They brought in a little bit more revenue. They've done a better job on the facilities uh, aspect of things, upgrading some needed sore spots uh, within the program and within the department in general. They've added money to the assistance pool, which is not making a difference this year, but, right? which is a point that we should probably make again, right? This is yeah, the most expensive yeah. coaching staff in school history. Right. Yeah. Probably should but, have made it before right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah. that's not the first time we've made it. I've, I've, no, 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 I've no, no. said on other pods just as well. On, but, just on this one in particular tonight, we probably should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, but Virginia Tech has shown a, a, a better understanding of what it takes to get to the semi-top, right? Not to Ohio State or Michigan or Bama or Georgia, but... Be a top 15 team. To Washington, Utah, <laughs> Iowa. Maybe, maybe not this year's Washington, by the way. Okay, they are yeah. wagon. Yeah. But yes, yeah, but yes in general, yes, I agree. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's where the ceiling is. Uh, now, that's if the conference realignment stuff goes well. If it doesn't go well, you're looking at like Memphis. Think about something else to do on Saturdays. Uh, Fresno State, Boise State might be a good uh, a good comparison. Paint the field maroon. Maybe that could be. Maybe that could be the brand. Stop. <laughs> I have another uh I have another one here that I think's pretty good that we've answered kind of in part earlier but you know we probably should have brought this up a little bit earlier that's my fault. I have a question for the pod. How much of these struggles are due to Wits hands-off approach to letting head coach hire to letting the head coach hire whoever they want for coordinators? Zero. Do you, Zero. Do you, do you think the AD needs to micromanage more and force a change in staff? Absolutely not. I I don't want the athletic director in the in the damn head coach's office telling me who's going to call plays. Agree. Whip Babcock doesn't know anything about who's calling plays. Right? Now, th that's, that's not, not his that's that's not his job. No, either. it's not. It's not Whip Babcock has like 20 some sports that he's supposed to administer and oversee. Football obviously being numero uno of that group, right? Yep. But you pay Brent Pry four some million dollars over four million a year to, to figure to it out on that. his own. Yeah, that's literally why Brent Pry has a job. Yeah, is to determine who's going to coach the team. That's now, his job. Now, so, will the no Whip Babcock does not need to be in there saying, "Hey, I think you should you should give play calling duties to Derek Jones." No, that's ridiculous. Now, will the athletic director? Well, would the athletic director force a change in staff? This question is interesting because in some programs, if the head coach is on extremely thin ice, sometimes the athletic director says, well, if we're not going, because this is what happens, right, in college football programs. At the end, not only at the end of each season, but during the season, the head coach generally meets with the athletic director. This is something that happens even when things are going well. Ask Nick Saban. He's talked about it plenty, how he speaks to his athletic director regularly, right? Meetings happen throughout the season. This is what we're doing to improve. This is kind of where we're at. A lot of different 
things for college football specifically need to be addressed between a head coach and an athletic director, especially in the NIL landscape and everything else, right? But at the end of each season, coaches have exit meetings with their athletic director. That's how it works in college sports. It is not unheard of for an athletic director to say, hey, look, things aren't going very well. Tell me the reasons why I should keep you, right? And for the head coach to say, okay, these are the reasons, you know, I, we're building something here. We're doing this. We're doing that. It's what Justin Fuente did, by the way, to gain another year, right? He had a compelling enough case to whip Babcock to allow him to keep his job for the 2021 football season. It is not out of the realm of possibility if this gets bad enough for Whit Babcock and Brent Pry to sit down and for Whit Babcock to say, look, we're two years in. Let's say worst case scenario. Let's say he goes one and 11, right? And he went three and eight last year. Okay, listen, uh, you have won a total of four games in two seasons. We might need to change up some of the staff. I'm not going to tell you who to change. I'm not going to tell you what to do, who to fire, but something needs to be done because this is unacceptable, right? And Brent Pry would take that information and do, hypothetically, take that information and do with it what he will. That is not out of the realm of possibility. That is something that takes place regularly on college campuses across the country for schools who are serious about playing big-time football, which Virginia Tech seems to want to do. <laughs> Right. Maybe not a national championship level because they don't spend and fundraise like like a national championship caliber program, but they're fundraising now, right, right now, like a team that wants to be competitive in the ACC. That was the whole thing with Witt saying that we're going to keep Fuente. We're raising all this money. Right. That was the whole kind of selling point going into 2021 football season. They're going to start. They're putting in a, a plan in place to fundraise like one of the top football schools in the ACC. If you want to be that, those are the types of conversations you have with the head coach. If things are going really, really poorly, but you don't say you don't, that doesn't mean that you walk into the office and you say, you need to fire Chris Marv. You need to fire Tyler Bowen. You, you know, that's not how that works. It's if I'm keeping you there, there needs to be some changes. You make the changes. We'll see if it works out. If it doesn't, you're next. Right. And in this case with Whit Babcock, if pride doesn't work out, he's gone too. Right. You don't get to hire more than two. To be honest with you, hiring two football coaches as an athletic director, hiring two of them, right. And having two not work out, getting a mulligan on the first one in a lot of cases is not something that's done. So Sands whether it's through apathy, not really caring, or just he has a higher level of patience, has given Whit Babcock a mulligan on replacing Frank Beamer. But if pride doesn't work out, you don't get to hire a third football coach as the AD. We've talked about that a million times. So I think that's a conversation that could take place. I think the second part of the question there is well taken. But it's not going to be a conversation of, you need to fire this coordinator. It's going to be, you need to make changes, do with that what you will, and then we're going to let the chips fall where they may. That's how that conversation would go, hypothetically speaking. Whit Babcock's not one to go in and just be like, you got to fire all these people. That's not who he is. He's not going to do that. But he's going to have that conversation, though, of changes need to be made. I would hope that 
if ever a situation arose, which may be this offseason, where Whit Babcock felt like there needed to be staffing changes made that he wouldn't have to ask or tell Pry we need to make changes. Because my theory on it is if you don't trust your football coach to know when to make changes and you have to tell them when to make changes, then he's not the right guy to lead your football program. I agree with that. And just a quick qualifier, that theory, that scenario I laid out usually doesn't happen after year two, right? Yeah, that, that's like a year three, year four conversation. Where you know who you are as the head coach. You know what the relationship is between the head coach and the athletic director. You know where things really stand. This is not usually a conversation that happens after year two. I just think that's a really important part of this. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Any other uh, stragglers in there that you want to bring up before we wrap up this podcast? No, that that was from Jeremy Beverly, so I appreciate him asking okay. the question. Uh, Absolutely. And for all the folks that have tweeted us questions over the last couple of weeks, we really do appreciate it. We had a lot of feedback on our thoughts to uh, add a video element, which may possibly be coming. Stay tuned for that. Um, thankful for all you folks for listening. We've had a really strong season thus far in terms of listenership. So very, very thankful for all of you for sticking around. Uh, rate, review, subscribe as always. Make sure you go follow the boys on Twitter. Uh, Mike, I thought what you did today to the Broncos was classless, uh, inexcusable. I would have and, I would have broken the scoring record if and, I were actually the head coach. And quite frankly, uh, unbecoming of a member of the Hokie Hangover. So explain yourself. All I have to say is that there are still too many people in my mentions who think that I am the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. I try to make it really clear in my bio. Not it, the Dolphins it literally coach. says not the Dolphins head coach. And I still have followers every week during foot. Like I, I add followers depending on how good or bad a Dolphins game is going on a given <laughs> Sunday. And I get a tweet or two a week of people thinking I am the coach of the Dolphins. <laughs> I am not. I, I had somebody tweet at me the other day. It was like, who is the fastest? Who is the fastest person associated with the Dolphins? And it was like Mike McDaniel, Tyreek Hill. Um, I don't know if it was Mostert or someone else. I was like, what? Listen, folks, also if I, me. If if the Mike McDaniel that I'm talking to right now was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, I would not be talking to him, <laughs> and he would not be on seven thousand podcasts nor would he be writing uh, for Sports Illustrated. I would not be recording anything about Virginia Tech football. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. No chance. <laughs> All right, folks. I think that's going to do it. Tweet at us. Um, make sure you follow the boys on Twitter, like I said. Uh, my column will be coming out uh, probably soon, early this week. I think I have decided what I want to write about, even though I sent a tweet after the game saying, I have no, no idea, no clue what I'm going to talk about this game. Um, Andrew should be back for the preview for Pitt, which looks like a bit of a different game than I think we all thought before the season started, considering mm -hmm. 
the Panthers' struggles. Uh, preview coming later in the week, but until then, as always, go Hokies. Go Hokies.